The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning. Welcome to Westway. Glad you're here. If you have your Bible with you, go ahead and open it to John chapter 13. Um, We're going to be taking a look at verses 34 and 35 today. If you have any questions about our message time, I would encourage you to send a text to the number that's on the screen. It's also in your bulletin. And each Tuesday, myself and one of our other pastors go online and we answer those questions, talk about those thoughts on our church Facebook page, which you can see later in the day on our, on our website, on our app. If you have that, you can access that video in a number of different places. Um, last week at the, end of our, at the end of our gathering together, I briefly shared some things about praying for our church body. And I only got out actually about 10% of what I had wanted to say um, because I was trying to be aware of time in what we were doing. Um, But today, I want to kind of complete those thoughts um, and really use um, more time because I think think there are some things we just need to be reminded of as a a church body. Um, One of those things is that there are many good things happening here at Westway. Ministries taking place, we're seeing lives being changed, and whether that's in small groups or Embrace Grace or Sunday school classes, in our children and student ministry classes, and through grandparenting um, things that we're doing, um, we're seeing a lot of transformation happening. Um, Here in a few weeks, I'm going to talk more about this in in a few minutes or later today when we talk about our offering time. Um, Two weeks from today, on March 22nd, uh, Westway Christian Church is, hope, is hosting the Lifeline Christian Mission Food Pack during our 10:15 time. So here's what that looks like. We will gather like we normally do on Sunday morning, but we won't have Sunday school classes. We'll gather in here right at 10:15. We'll watch a quick video where they tell us how the food pack goes, and then we are all going to go into the gym, and we're going to pack about 45,000 meals, which is about 10,000 more meals than we packed last year. And um, the reason we're doing that is because it's your fault, because you told us that you wanted us to pack more meals next time. So we are listening to what you are telling us in terms of packing more meals. We're also going to be collecting an offering that day and for the next probably, probably week or so after that or two weeks to pay for those meals. Last year, in addition to packing the 8,500 meals that we did, we raised, or excuse me, 33,000 meals, we raised about $8,500. So this year, because we're packing more meals, we have more money to raise. And one of the things that I would really encourage you to do is that's your, that's, that is not our normal offering, right? This is, this is $10,500 over and above what we normally give without impacting our offering. And here's the thing, if that sounds impossible, you did it last year. Right? We did it last year. We were, our, our normal giving, our normal offering didn't, wasn't affected at all for the month of March because we did this food pack. So I would encourage you, as you're, as you're thinking about your, your giving and as you're thinking about your money over the next few weeks, uh, this is a tremendous opportunity for us to continue to demonstrate our generosity as a church. Um, in June, we're going to host a Vacation Bible School And then at the end of June, we're having a 70th anniversary of Westway Christian Church, because this is our 70th anniversary. Um, Let me see a show of hands. Um, This is risky. Who who is here in the beginning? Who remembers the Church of Bryant days? Okay. So some of you probably remember the Church at Bryant. 
Some of you remember that transition here, and we want to celebrate that as a church body. And then in September, we're hoping to have over 400 grandparents in this room because we're hosting a national simulcast conference. There's information about that inside your bulletin. Um, There's a ton of things, and we're going to be talking more about this. So we're really excited about these kinds of things. Um, And there are two things that, that we want to think about in this. Um, Number one, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he's going to be glorified in all things. He's going to be glorified in the things that we do, and it's on him to make that happen. Like some of us, I think, when we hear we have to raise $10,500 extra dollars, maybe some of us are wondering how we're going to do that. Well, we're going to trust Jesus. We're going to trust God. I'm going to trust In you, in fact, because I had so many people telling us that we wanted to pack more meals. Like, we're just going to trust. We're going to live in this hopeful expectation that Jesus is going to make these things happen. And here's the second thing. Jesus wants to use you. God wants to use you in these things that are taking place at Westway Christian Church. He wants to use you. Our hope and our plan is not to hire 40 more pastors and ministry team leaders over the next um, over the next four months to make all of these things happen. We have about 180 people in this room today. We don't need 40 more pastors and ministry team people. What we want to see is the 180 people that are gathered together on a Sunday morning live out their calling in God's life. And here's the thing. If, if, if we don't join in, if we don't commit to that, um, sometimes I know I've heard people say, well, if, if we don't do our part, then, then God's just not going to do this. Um, that is awful theology. Um, if you were to read through the Bible, and if, especially if you were to read through the Old Testament, we see a number of situations and circumstances where, where God's people did not respond to what God wanted them to do. And the reality of it was then it, God did it anyway, it just took longer. And what happened was, is there was, a, there, was a, there was a group and a set of people who simply missed out on the blessing that God had for them. So as an example, before the people entered the promised land, there were a group of people that didn't want to go. They were fearful of what was going to take place. So God just didn't let them enter the promised land. In fact, he told them not to. And he waited 40 years. And all of the people who did not want to go into the promised land died before the other people could go in. I'm not proclaiming over you that you're going to die if you don't help. But I'm going to tell you that if we don't do what God is calling us to, if we're not obedient to what he is calling us to, we're just going to miss out on the blessing. It's going to be us who is affected by that. And I would love for all of us to be able to look at these things and say that we had a part. We were obedient in what God was calling us to. And as much as all of that's true, as much as God is at work, um, this was the point of our entire message last week. We're facing a real enemy. We're facing a spiritual enemy who hates what's happening, and like he's letting us know. I was watching uh, National Geographic a few, a few weeks ago, and they had a series of documentaries on the September 11th attack. And as I, as I watched these documentaries, one of the things that struck me over the course of this day as I was watching these documentaries, and as in every one of them, they showed first responder after first responder not running away 
from the towers, not running away from the fire. But we saw, I saw first responder after first responder run to the fire. Casting aside like any, any personal needs that they might have, casting aside any fears that they might have, and they were running to the fire. And right now, for, for our church body and for Scott's Bluff, it's, it's time for us to go. It's time for us to go to the fire. And that's not just outside of this place, because we have people in this room right now whose lives are on fire, who are facing deep challenges in their lives. And what they need is for someone to come alongside them and be a tangible person to love them and to care for them and to point them to Jesus. I think this might sound a little weird, of un- weird and uncomfortable when we talk about spiritual attack and spiritual battles. We're not used to kind of hearing that language. Like that would make a terrible Facebook ad for Westway Christian Church, right? Come to Westway Christian Church. We're under spiritual attack. Like we're not going to make that Facebook ad. But we want to tell you, we want to communicate to you that the fact that we are under attack I would argue that means that, that there is movement. Because why would, why would Satan care? Why would he interact with us in this way if, if we weren't Westway, if the church wasn't a threat? So in a strange way, and this is just my cup half empty kind of style, in a strange way, I think this is a good thing. Because it lets us know that this is real, that there are actual things taking place. Um, Ephesians 4.12 says this, We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty spirits in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. So I think it's really important for us as we think about what spiritual warfare looks like, what spiritual attack looks like. It's not about other people. Other people are not our enemies. And one of the ways that, that spiritual attack reveals itself is through disunity. And today we're going we're gonna to take a step out of our series just for one day for, for, for a couple reasons. I'm going to explain it a little later. Um, but we've, we've, been asked, we've been asked a few questions about unity. I've been asked a few questions about unity. Because um, I think that spiritual attack reveals itself through disunity. So we're going to talk about unity in two areas today. First off, at, um, within the local church. So, so what does unity of our body look like? How can we be unified in the midst of, of spiritual attack? And then we're going to talk about the local churches. What does, what does unity look like among the churches in Scotts Bluff County? And what I want you to know is your leaders, your pastors and elders and ministry teams are actively contending for your hearts. We are actively fighting for you because we love you. And here's the thing, we're not afraid. You don't have any pastors or elders who are afraid because the victory is ours. In fact, Paul says this in Romans 8, 35 through 39. And I know it's going to be on the screen. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Nor, neither death nor life, nor, neither demons, angels or demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I think that's so hopeful for us as we, as we think about what this battle looks like. As Christians, we've already won. So what are we doing? We're praying about it. We get, there was a group of people that gathered. We're going to do this from now on. 9.45 in the gym. If you want to pray with us over our gathering and over our church, I would invite you to do that. And here's the second thing. Um, tonight at 6.15, we're just going to gather for prayer. Whoever wants to come, you can come and join us. We're going to read some scripture together. Um, you are not less spiritual if you do not come. And you're not more spiritual if you choose to. Okay? This isn't a, this isn't a test of faith to see who's really going to join in with us. This is just an opportunity to gather together as our body because we want to we wanna take this seriously. Even though we've won, even though we have this victory, it's still hard, isn't it? Don't we still face hardships and situations and circumstances in our lives? So we just want to pray over those things. Let's do that right now. Um, God, thank you for this time that we have to gather this, um, this morning. I just pray that you would be with us. We know that you are. And that we would find comfort in you and in your presence. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Um, here's our mission. Here's why we exist as a church to proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's, that's the reason we gather. That's our purpose. That's the reason we do everything, is to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And we didn't just, we didn't just make that up. Um, we actually get that from the Bible. In Matthew 28, 18, it says this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, so the mission of, of Westway Christian Church, and I would argue the mission of every church, and the mission of every individual Christian is to tell other people about Jesus, to proclaim him as Lord, to point other people to Christ above everything else. And in order to do that, we have to be united. Like our church body, under, under this roof, this, this gathering of people, we have to be united. But we also have to be united with other churches in our community if we want to do that. And here's, here's some really good news about that. We have a long history, and I don't just mean Westway Christian Church. I mean, we, as a, as a movement, have a long history of being a unity movement within the churches. I know that there are lots of people here from lots of different church backgrounds, so, for instance, I grew up in a Presbyterian church. And 
when we made our way to the Christian church, it was probably another eight years after that before I even had an understanding of what the history and background of the Christian church was. Some of you have have probably been involved and engaged here at Westway Christian Church maybe for 20 years or longer, and you have no idea about this restoration movement. You have no idea what that means, which I'm really glad about because I want to share a little bit of information with you today, kind of about where we came from and why unity was so important in our early church movement. This is a little bit of a history lesson um, I love history, so I will try and make this as, as less boring as I possibly can for you. Okay, so I worked hard on this. In 1804, six men, Robert Marshall, John Dunlavey, Richard McNamara, Barton Stone, John Thompson, and David Perviance, formally killed what was called the Springfield Presbytery. So there was this gathering of Presbyterian churches called the Springfield Presbytery. Okay? And these guys get together and they wrote what's called the last will and testament of the Springfield testimony. So they killed like a group of churches. They metaphorically killed a group of churches. Because two days earlier on June 26, five of these guys had withdrawn from the Presbyterian Synod of Kentucky over disagreement with the, with the Westminster Confession. I know I just said a whole bunch of blah, 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 gobbledygook for some of you. Okay, here's the Westminster Confession in, in short. It essentially tells a certain kind of church how they are to operate. It essentially talks about what their doctrine is, what their theology is, how they're supposed to, how they're supposed to function. It's just a doctrinal statement. And these five guys, as Presbyterians, this is key, as Presbyterians, had a problem with the Westminster Confession. They wanted to form a group that would simply be called Christians. They didn't want to be Presbyterians. They didn't want to be Methodists. They didn't want to be Baptists. They didn't want to be Anabaptists. They didn't want to be all these things. They just wanted to be a group of people called Christians. They didn't want any creeds and they didn't want any doctrinal statements. They didn't want a church governmental system other than like what happens in the local church, which is why we have elders in our body because they're our human leaders. Well, this document, the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery, would soon be reprinted as a tract. Okay, so it'd be a little, it'd be like a little piece of paper, um, and it was passed around, and an announcement was made that anyone who believed what this little piece of paper, what this tract believed, Christians of all kinds, whether you are Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Anabaptist, like Lutheran, whatever you believed. We just want to be Christians, and we're going to gather at Marshall's Baptist Church where, where people from Kentucky, Ohio, and Tennessee could come. And we're just going to have communion. doesn't matter what your church background is. There's not going to be a doctrinal statement that you have to adhere to to get together. We're just going to get together, and we're going to have communion. It was open to anyone who called themselves Christians tell you a little bit about one of these guys. His name was Barton Stone. He was born in 1772. He originally was going to become an attorney, but he converted to Christianity. And he began to question some of his beliefs as a Presbyterian. And in 1795, he found himself preaching in Kentucky at this place called Cane Ridge for the Springfield Presbytery. So this guy's a Presbyterian minister, 
Cane Ridge had been named. This is kind of interesting. This is one of those things I'm trying not to bore you with. Cane Ridge had been named by a guy named Daniel Boone. Does anybody have ever, ever heard the name Daniel Boone? Okay. Daniel Boone, frontiersman, out in the woods, comes across one day in Kentucky, all of these, all of these bamboo plants. So he calls it Cane Ridge. When Stone is eventually ordained into ministry a few years after going to the church, He's asked if he accepts the Westminster Confession. So, so they, they have this document and they say, do you believe this? And this is his statement. He says, I do as far as I see it consistent with the Word of God. So whatever matches up from the Westminster Confession to the Bible, I'm in. I agree. And crazily, they hired him anyway. Okay, so they hire him anyway. He's ordained, and a few years later, he's in southern Kentucky, and he goes to this big communion festival that he sees where, where all of these Christians are gathering together of all of these different backgrounds. And they're, they're showing all of these outward gifts of the Spirit. Um, they're laughing. They're falling down. Um, they're shouting loudly. They're barking up trees. Okay, they're doing all of these really crazy things. They are probably raising their hands, right? They're doing all of these really strange things. A few months later, there was, there was another gathering about 50 miles from Cane Ridge where another gathering of people came together to just have communion. And there were over 4,000 people present at this communion. A month later, in a place called Stony Creek, there were 8,000 people and Stone was determined to schedule one of these communions in Cane Ridge later in the summer. And on August 6th of 1801, the Cane Ridge Revival began with 140 wagons and carriages and about 800 people camped on the grounds. Over the next day, people began to stream. Over the next few days, people began to stream into Cane Ridge. And it's estimated um, that there are between 10 and 20,000 people in attendance for communion because they were Christians and they just wanted to have communion together. They just want to be unified. They didn't want to be separated by all of these doctrinal statements and all of these, these denominational divides. Years later, Stone would meet another Presbyterian minister. This guy's name is Alexander Campbell. And the two would form what's called the Stone-Campbell Movement. In 1826, this movement had 15,000 members and 300 congregations. And just 20 years later, there were 200,000 members. So this Christian church, that Westway Christian church, and there's a whole lot of things that happened between 1848 and now. This church, this body comes out of that movement. That's where we come from. That's our, that's our history. That's our genealogy. This is why we believe some of the th- many of the things that we believe. This is why, again, we, we have local elders as leaders of our body. This is why we take communion together. This is why, um, this is why we don't bar people um, from communion. One of the really interesting things that would, that would happen is um, earlier, before, earlier in this movement when they would get together and have these communions, you had to have a, a, like, a, like a medallion. So if you wanted to take communion, some churches would require you to show this medal that you were approved by the church for communion. And, and the Christian church movement, this Stone Campbell movement, did away with all of that because we just want to be Christians. 
We don't want to get caught up in a lot of things. So they were never intending to make a denomination. They were never intending to be separate from other denominations and, and, and have walls built up. We were just designed to just be Christians together. They just wanted a place where Christians could gather and have communion. And this is our history and this is our heritage. It's why unity matters. But we're not, we're not proclaimers of unity just because Barton and Stone said we should be. That's not, that's not why we talk about unity within the church and in the churches in the community. This was issued long before Barton and Stone. Let's go to John chapter 13. Here's the setting. This is, this is at the end of Jesus' life. He's in a room with 12 of his closest disciples, his closest friends. There were several fishermen. There was a tax collector, which means he worked for the Romans and he was a traitor. And then there was a guy named Simon, who was a zealot. And his job, his, his mission in life, his focus in life was to make Israel great again. So when you put, when you put a Roman occupier, tax collector, and to make Israel great again guy in the same room, you can imagine there's probably going to be some tension, right? There'd be, some, there'd be some uncomfortable feelings between those two guys. There were three main political parties among the Jews. There were the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. And, and, they, and they had their own distinctive beliefs about, about what Judaism was. They had their own distinctive beliefs about how they were supposed to worship and all of those things. And my guess is each one of those parties, each one of those three groups, my guess is they were represented by the disciples. Now, it doesn't say that in the Bible, but each one of us, we have our own political thoughts and ideas, right? So chances are the disciples did too. So Jesus washes their feet and he told them to do the same for others. They had a meal together. Judas the betrayer leaves and Jesus tells them that he is leaving them and they couldn't follow. And because he was so concerned that they were going to return to the things that had separated them, he said this in verse 34 and 35. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, the rest, Westway Christian Church is a church about unity because the Restoration Movement was a movement about unity. And the Restoration Movement was a movement about unity because Christianity is a unity movement. I want you to be able to trace that. The reason we desire unity as a body and with other churches is because we are a unity movement. That's what Jesus is telling us here. He could have said lots of things. He could have said, your Bible memorization, your scripture memorization, disciples, that will be the proof to the world that you are my disciples. He could have said that. He could have said the way that you pray, that is your, that's the proof to the world that you are my disciples. He could have said the, the way that you gather together, that will be the proof that you are my disciples. He could have said, the way that you're baptized, that will be the proof 
that you are my disciples. He could have said, a literal six-day creation, that's going to prove to everyone that you are my disciples. Jesus could have said a lot of things that would demonstrate to the entire world that we were his disciples. But what did he say? He said the way that we loved one another would be the proof that we are Jesus' disciples. I really want you to press in to what Jesus is telling us here. As people of God, we are called to love one another because that's the proof that we are disciples of Jesus. Well, how can we know? How can we know if we are loving other people in a way that points people to Christ? How can we know that we are loving people in a way that proves that we are Jesus' disciples? And it's the title of the message today. Well, who do you love? Who do you love? I want to read two more texts to you. Um, They'll be on the screen. The first one is from Matthew 5, and it's verses 43 to 48. And again, you can just follow along on on the screen. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. I want you to press into these texts, because because for some of us, we're caught in a place that we only love those who are kind to us. They love you, and you love them in return. And what does Jesus say about that? So what? Who cares? Pagans do that. Tax collectors do that. But God gives us sunlight to the good and the bad. And he lets the rain fall on the just and unjust. See, God shows mercy, kindness, goodness, love, and grace to everyone, even to those who don't want anything to do with him. Because there are farmers... This year, who, are go- who don't care about God. There are farmers within 10 miles of this building this year who don't care anything about God. And the sun is going to come out and it's going to be on their field. And I know we live in western Nebraska and it doesn't rain very much. But when it rains, it's going to fall on their field too. Whether they love God or not, They're going to receive sun, and they're going to receive rain. So who do we love? If if we are so pleased with ourselves that we hang out with the people who love us, and and that's the extent of love, what Jesus is saying is that's not love. Because anyone can do that. Let's go now to Luke 6.27. Again, these will be on the screen. This will sound pretty similar. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. 
Do not condemn others or it will all come back against you. Forgive others and you'll be forgiven. Give and you'll receive. Oh, I started too late. 27, excuse me. But to you who are willing to listen, I say love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. This will be the similar part. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. And if you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. Did you hear that? He's kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. Who do you love? Who do we, as Christians, who do we love? Sinners do great at selfish, uncostly love. That's what it means to love only other people who love you, is to be selfish and to be, demonstrate uncostly love. But we, as Christians, we're called to be different. And unity within our body only happens when we embrace those who are different from us. Unity only happens when we love people who are different than us. And this is one of the reasons why we desire to be an intergenerational congregation. This is why we desire to have young people and old people gathered together under one roof, and hopefully under many roofs in our small groups, because we want to be intergenerational. We want to love people who are different than us. Because I'm sure you've figured this out. People who are older or younger than you have a different perspective of life than you do. And some of those differences are really hard for us to understand. And we want to press into those things. It's why, it's why we have different musical styles here on a Sunday morning. And that's also why some of us get so caught up in our preferences. Because some of us think that because this kind of music doesn't speak to me, like I can't worship God, or because this music doesn't speak to me, it must not be of God. And, and here's the thing. I shared this from Francis Chan, so be mad at him. Like we're not worshiping you. If you don't like the music, we are not worshiping you. We are worshiping God. What if a musical style that you didn't like was helping someone else grow in their relationship with God? Can we be mature? Can we sacrifice ourselves for the good of someone else? And I think one of the problems is, like, we, we curate everything in our culture to our own preferences. Everything. When I'm, when I'm cold in the morning, what do I do? I turn up the heat, right? And when I'm hot, what do I do? I turn on the air conditioning. When I listen to Pandora on my phone, if a song comes on that I don't like, what do I do? I hit the thumbs down. Right? Like this is, do you see how, how we are constantly curating 
our environment to be like us? Like, I, I do have a smart thermostat, but there's a certain kind of thermostat that um, you buy, and what you do for like a month and a half is you just adjust it like you normally would, right? So when I get hot, I turn it down when I get cold, and eventually it learns when you are in the house and automatically knows when you want it hot and when you want it cold. Don't get me wrong, okay? I love Western culture, okay? Like, legit. We are living, man, the times we live in. A couple weeks ago, Ann and I went to Dallas, and we get in our rental car, and the steering wheel was heated in Dallas. And you know what my first thought was? My next car is going to have one of these. Like, I, I love, I love the time in which we live. But here's the thing. We're so surrounded by all of this self-centeredness that we don't even recognize it. We don't even recognize it as self-centeredness, which is why, which is why we get frustrated, right? When I, when I hit five thumbs down on Pandora, and some of you know what, know what that's like, because it doesn't let you skip more than five songs unless you pay for it. Well, why would I pay for music? Like, this is crazy talk, right? Like how self-centered and self-absorbed we get to be. Ann and I are watching right now, for the first time in a really long time, we're watching a show live on network TV. And there are commercials. And in my mind, I'm like, is this 2009? Like, what in the world is going on here? I don't want to watch commercials. Like, this is, this is so, it's so selfish. It's so inwardly focused. And unity means we give up and we sacrifice for the good of others. This is not about giving up our doctrine. This is not about giving up right and wrong. We're still going to talk about sin. We're still going to hold people to a standard of expectations of what God's people live their lives like. And at the same time, we're going to love people who look, act, think, and sin differently than we do. Because God has done this for us. Because the way that we live and the way that we love others despite our differences, in the midst of our differences, this is the proof that we're really disciples of Jesus. The fact that we can have people gathered together and just because, like, I know we do this, just because someone is guilty of a really bad sin we can still love them and we can still be in relationship with them and we can still point them to Christ. Just because they sin differently than us doesn't, doesn't mean we relegate them to a different place in the room or to a different church building in Scott's Bluff. Well, what about unity among the churches in the community? Last week I had someone um, ask me a question about our level of involvement with other churches in the community. Um, the interesting thing is, about, about a week before I had this conversation, I was kind of sensing, and this is like what Jesus does, so it's awesome. I was kind of sensing that, that some people might have some questions about, about 
the way we are interacting with other churches in our community. I was just like my spidey, my Holy Spirit spidey sense was tingling. So I was, so, so like I was a little bit aware of that. And then um, myself and our pastors and elders went to, um, went to an event in Grand Island where they talked about unity. And as we were engaged in that, I was like, okay, my, my Holy Spirit spidey sense was tingling more and more and more and more. And I'm like, I think at some point we're going to have to talk about unity. So my plan was to give this message in a few weeks. Well then, earlier this week, I had a conversation with someone and, and someone just said, hey, um, I, just, I have to ask a question. Um, and they asked it much nicer than this. But here was the gist. It was kind of like, um, I see that we're interacting with some of these other churches in our community that we might not have theological agreements with. So, so can you tell me a little bit about what's going on in that? So my first thought was, ah. Like one of the things that we've been talking about, um, it's been in the bulletin in the last couple weeks, is Lenten lunch. There are other churches in Scotts Bluff that, practice, that, that um, celebrate something called Lent. And one of the things that, that we're doing, because I've been able to establish a relationship with some of these pastors and some of these churches, one of the things that we're doing on Tuesday, this Tuesday, from noon to one, is we're hosting one of those lunches here. And here's what that means. Um, we're going to have a meal together, and someone from another church is going to give a 10-minute devotional thought, and we're just going to be in relationship, and we're going to pray, and that's going to be it. And their question was, why, why are we working with these other churches? As I thought about that, um, I have two thoughts on my mind. Um, and the first one is, is this is so generational. This is so generational. I think for people who are, are younger than the age of 45, you probably see something like this, like Lenten lunch or churches working together and and you may not think, oh, that's really great, but you probably think, eh, churches work together. Like, big whoop. What's the deal? And for those of us that are, that are older, so do that math. For those of us on the older edge of 45, the reason that younger people don't care about those kinds of things is not because there are a bunch of liberals who don't care about theology. They've just grown up in a generation that places a higher value on diversity and just doesn't understand why churches wouldn't get along. It just doesn't make any sense to them. And then here's the second thing. Jim told me, after I had that conversation with this person, Jim told me that 70 years ago, the church at Bryant, see, now we're Westway, so we were the church at Bryant, and now we're Westway. Jim told me that 70 years ago, the church at Bryant was formed when a group of people left First Christian Church and formed their own church over some disagreements. Now, here's the thing. Young people, this is an opportunity for us to put ourselves in the shoes of someone that's older than us. I want you to imagine that you had left another church over, over disagreement. And there was, I, like, 
I've been a part of church splits, seen that happen, and there's animosity and there's bad feelings. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of someone who's left a church angry, and then you come rolling into Westway Christian Church, and you see the Lenten lunch list, and at the bottom of the list it says First Christian Church. Young people, put yourself in the shoes of someone who went through that. How are you going to feel? You're probably going to be wondering, right? What are, what are we doing with... Wait a minute. Why are we hanging out with those people? And the reason why is simple. Because we value unity. See, we don't, we don't believe in everything those churches do, and those churches don't believe in everything that we do. And what I shared with this person was, if I could get... If I could get six other churches in Scotts Bluff who believed similarly to Westway, if I could get those churches together once a week and read the Bible together, I would absolutely do it. You know why? Because it's much easier for me to love people that love me. It's much easier for me to be in relationship and study the Bible with people who study the Bible like I do. I can't get those six churches. I can't get six churches to do it. This is why I talk a lot about unity in Scotts Bluff. This is killing the church. So in my mind, like, I fail to see the downside in reading the Bible with people I disagree with theologically. For the life of me, I can't see any downside to that. The opportunity to read the Bible with other Christians... What a concept. Why would we say no to that? And I'm not minimizing the hurt and the loss that I know that people have felt in our church body about some of this. Last week, as I was sitting with that group of pastors, because I've been meeting with them now for about two and a half months, we, one of the things we do, we talk about what we're going to preach the following week, and we read the Bible together. And I shared with them that I was going to be talking about unity I shared with them this brief conversation I had had with this person. And there was an older woman from First Christian Church there. She was five years old when that, when that split happened. And she started asking me, does this person still go to Westway Christian Church? Is this person alive? And the more she talked, the more tears she had in her eyes as she was filled with sadness over people that she had known that she had been in a relationship with. And I get it, you know, friendship looks different at five than it looks at 45. But these are people that she knew. That was sad. You know, it's really popular in our current cultural moment to second-guess something that happened 70 years ago. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to fall into that space. But I wonder if 70 years is enough time for us as a church, as a body, to be unified in this room and to be unified in the churches with our community. Because there's a whole lot of people, there's like 
20,000 people who don't claim any religious affiliation. And when they look into, into the churches at Scotts Bluff, of Scotts Bluff County, and they see them not working together, why would they want to become a Christian? Why would they want any part of that disunity? So I'm going to implore you, I'm going to ask you to love people who are different than you in this room and outside of this space. I'm going to ask you to come to Lenten lunch on Tuesday because chances are some of you are going to see people that you haven't seen in a really long time. And what a, what a wonderful thing to have a meal together. And I think that's something we're going to do in a few minutes. Because that's what our unity means. Is to eat of the flesh and drink of the blood. And to be together as one body. Let's pray. Father, we're before you to be unified. Help us to set aside our own selfishness. Help us to deeply examine our motives. And help us to do things for your good. Help us to do things for the good of others. Help us to do things for the good of our community. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.